Welcome to the Oakland Heights Baptist Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from our Sunday service. Well, hallelujah. We got a lot of things coming up this week. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to, it's going to be a blessing to you, and you're going to be able to be a blessing. You're going to be able to be a blessing as you encourage missionaries, as you uh, give in offerings, as you make your commitments for missions giving. That'll be, uh, you'll be blessed and you'll be able to be a blessing. So what a great week this is going to be. We've got a lot of things planned for you. We've got time uh, planned for you to get to know missionaries a little bit better, and that's going to be a real joy. Uh, we don't want missionaries to be just something you see on a card, uh, we, although we do want you to take those cards and pray for them. Maybe you can put them on your refrigerator or in a napkin holder on your table or however that works for you where you can continually pray for them. But more than that, we want you to know them. Uh, What you'll find is missionaries are heroes, but they're just ordinary people. Uh, But because they're wholly given to the Lord, they've, they've surrendered to him. God uses them in awesome ways. And we want to know them. We want to encourage them. We want to to glean and learn from them as well. This will be a great week for you. Uh, one of our greatest joys in this uh, Go Conference is to have Bobby Bonner with us. Uh, if you don't know some of Bobby's story, I don't know uh, when you're going to hear this through, the, through uh, this week, but I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler, okay? So Bobby was a professional baseball player that gave that up to serve the Lord. He moved to Zambia with his wife and daughters and uh, been ministering in Zambia. He was there 30 years around that time and um, still involved. He leads I Am Ministries International African Missions, is that right? Um, and still leads that, still integral in uh, fundraising and encouraging the men who are there to train other pastors and church planters. And uh, you'll get to hear a lot of those things, especially in the field reports today. Uh, but man, what a blessing. I, can I, just personally for me, um, Bobby's had a, a role maybe that he didn't even know about before this week, um, but uh, I don't know, 20 years ago or, or more, I was in the Cater Baptist Church. I was saved. I was discipled. I was going through there what would be MTT, LTT things and thought I kind of knew where my life was heading. And I heard a man come and talk about how God had called him to give up baseball and to go be a missionary and how God had used him mightily. And God said, would you give up your plans and serve me? And I'm telling you, that surrender was um, emotional that day, but what a blessing it's been since. And uh, I'll just tell you, whatever God calls you to do, that'll be best, and you'll never regret it. And so uh, I look forward to hearing from today. Also, in the, just in the life of our church, uh, we were thinking about it last night that, um, you know, 2012, so nine years ago, this church sent me and a team to start Connect Church, and Bobby was here for that. Uh, that commissioning service during our GO conference and uh, part of laying on hands and, and sending us out. What a blessing he's been to our church, to me personally, and to, and to God's kingdom. And so uh, we're going to have Bobby come and preach to us. Let me encourage you to let the Lord speak to you. He's got something for you. To- As, as I get older, I, uh, and everything I've, I've had happen to me physically, uh, sometimes I, I, you know, you talk about being my age and a loss of memory. It's not a loss of memory. It's just I've got so much information up there, I get a power surge every once in a while, and things short circuit, okay? 
So if I look at you strange, and you know me, yeah, I know you, but you're up there somewhere. We just got to connect somewhere. But uh, thank you, Brother James. I, I didn't uh, know until last night that happened. Of course, I've known you ever since, you know, affiliated with DBC over there and affiliated over here when we came over here for your uh, laying of hands and sending out, and that was real cool. And you visited Zambia as well and seen some of the work over there. And uh, it's just a real privilege and honor for me to be here. Thank you. It's actually a miracle I'm here. I, I, you know, I tell everybody, I said, listen, you know, if you go to Africa, everything over there is going to prick you, grab you, jab you, and grab you, and leave a mark, okay? And so you're looking at a guy that's had malaria 19 times. I've had cerebral malaria twice. That's 95% fatal if you get it once. I've had it twice. I've had blackwater fever that at the time I got it, it was 100% fatal, but I live, so the doctor says it's 99% fatal now. He had never had someone in the last stage of blackwater fever ever survive. And uh, that's a form of malaria, but it goes to the kidneys. It doesn't go to the liver. And then, of course, I've had four heart attacks and 11 or 12 stents and uh, open-heart surgery, valve replacement, uh, bypass surgery, uh, defibrillator, pacemaker. I've been chased by elephants. I've been chased by rhinos. I got chased by a hippo. I got stalked by a lion. I've been spit on by spitting cobras. I've had an AK-47 stuck in my jaw one night from uh, bandits who tried to rob me. They let me go. They shot and killed the people in the car behind me. To this day, I don't know why I'm still here other than I've got a wife praying for me, okay? God, you got it. Because my wife said I was delirious one night. And I was just, you know, when you get malaria, cerebral malaria, you know, your temperature is 105, 106. You got no idea where you are. And, of course, I was laying in bed. She was wiping me down with ice and water and trying to get my temperature down and putting IVs in our home because you don't want to go to a hospital in Africa because the next stop is the morgue, you know. So you, you learn to doctor yourself, you know. We took a big book over called Where There Is No Doctor, you know. And so we... So if you need a diagnosis, you just come to me, okay? I've got some. <laughs> I heard from my mother, my grandmother, or excuse me, great-grandmother was a medicine woman, okay? And so she had all these little, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so I, my wife, I, I had my hands in the air, and I was just praying, Lord, just take me home. At least that's what I, I didn't remember that. My wife told me. She said, I would just take me home sick of this, sick of being sick. And my wife put her hand over my mouth, she said, and said, Lord, don't listen to him. He's got a high fever. He's delirious. Amen. So I thank God that I got a wife that prays for me. Amen. It's all my wife's fault. I married my high school sweetheart, Miss Becky. Uh, she uh, got saved at 14 years of age. She got saved. A friend came home from camp witnessed to her, gave her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. She got saved, was on fire for a little while, and then, of course, the teenage years, you know. And she sort of backslid, and she backslid enough to like me and marry me. So she was my high school sweetheart, got married right away, went off to college. I was not a Christian. I was not saved. I came home after my first year of pro ball. My wife's carrying a Bible going to church. And I said, what? Who are you? She said, well, I'm a Christian. And I said, well, when did that take place? She said, when I was 14. I said, wait, wait, wait. We've been married for four years. Before I could even get that out, she said, 
I was backslid when I married you, son. <laughs> Telling somebody that, you know, uh, your basic boogerhead, he back, I didn't know what that was. Okay, what are you talking about? She said, you'll find out. So I'd wake up at night, feel these hands on me. And my wife was mumbling, and I'd look over, and she'd be on her knees with her hands on me, begging for God to save my soul. God save my husband. God save my husband. God save my husband. So in October 1978, she got me to a revival meeting in Bryan, Texas. And I'll never forget, I sat on the very, very last pew. I wasn't going to go forward. I had a hold of that pew. My knuckles were white. And uh, I believed there was a God, even though I didn't go to church. I believed there was a hell, even though I didn't go to church. I wasn't a fool. But I didn't believe there was a God that could love me. You know, the song that we sang, it was just, how could he love somebody like me? How could he love what I had done? How could he love me through all this, you know, I mean, just about ready for divorce. I was, I was all, I was just, it was the lowest time in my life. And, and yet, how could a God love me? And so when the invitation was given, I came down to the front. I cried, I wept. I called on Jesus Christ to save my soul. And I must have been at the altar an hour crying. But when I got up, like I said in the first service, I said, I didn't know what an Old Testament was. I didn't know what, a, I couldn't name a book of the Bible. But once I was lost and now I'm found. I had peace in my soul. The guilt was gone. There was no burdens. I'm going like, I was like, you know, now that I know what the Bible says, I was like a little baby. I was just clean and didn't realize I was clean. You know, I mean, it was just, and then I just had to tell people what happened to me. And so right away, I began to call up my friends. I went over to their house. I went to their apartments. I saw them in stores. I said, let me tell you what happened to me. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and he got sa I got saved, and he changed my life, and he's healed my marriage. And I said, he can do the same for you. And you know what they did? They left me. Wow. Man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Why don't they see it? And so I came home that evening and got my wife, and I said, honey, we need to move. We need to go somewhere to where I need to just be under somebody's, you know, that could teach me the Word of God, to disciple me. So we went to Corpus Christi to live with her parents. We showed up on their doorstep with my wife and two kids and Alfred Petty, my father-in-law, and and they still had two kids in the house with herself. And, and I showed up, and so they sealed off a room, and all four of us were in there. And Alfred Petty, my father-in-law, what a nut, man. Loved Jesus. I mean, just loved him. When he was in the Navy at the Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi, Texas, he would stand between the barracks when the soldiers would come back from drinking, you know, the sailors. And he would stand there and witness to him and pass out tracts, okay? One day he got on the loudspeaker of the base at the Naval Air Station. His buddy was giving the announcements that day. And he said, can I give an announcement? He said, sure. Here, you read this. So Alfred got the microphone to the entire base and said, I want to report something lost. He said, this world is lost. And Jesus Christ is the answer. And the guy's trying to pull the microphone away from him. And, of course, that went over the whole base. And so the next thing you knew, my father-in-law was before the psychiatric board of the Naval Hospital there. And, of course, they, he's witnessing to the psychiatrist. He just loved Jesus. 
He was an independent wallpaper hanger and a painter, didn't work for a company, just trusted God, repeat business. God would call him. He was just trusting God. And so I went to work for my father-in-law, painting, you know, doing a little trim and all that kind of stuff, playing wallpaper, stuff like that, as an odd job during the, you know, wintertime, you know, before I went back to play ball. And Alfred told me something I've never forgot. It's been my motto. He said, son, he said, there's two times to go to church. He said, there's two times to pray. He said, there's two times to read your Bible. He said, there's two times to do right. There's just two times to serve God. And I said, really, there's just two? I like that. He goes, yeah, when you feel like it and when you don't. <laughs> Never forgot that. So when I don't feel like reading my Bible, it's time for me to read my Bible. When I don't feel like praying, it's the time I need to pray. If I don't feel like going to church and those people made me mad, guess what? I need to go to church and I need to get right with my brethren because there's just two times to serve God when you feel like it and when you don't. And by the way, the last couple years, there's been a lot of times we hadn't felt like it. Hello? Now remember, while we're going through this pandemic and I went through with it with you, I've had COVID twice, by the way, the last couple of years. And made it through in spite of all my problems. I've only got 30% of my heart left. The lower half is all destroyed. So if I happen to fall over dead today or fall off the stage and break my neck, don't, don't give me mouth to mouth, James, okay? No, no kissy, kissy. <laughs> Just let me go to be with Jesus, okay? Please. So anyway, now my wife may disagree with that. And I hope she does. Amen. I hope she's still praying. But if you have a Bible, open it anywhere. I told the first service, it's all good. But Matthew chapter number 28. And you know, as I was thinking about Matthew 28, I was thinking about the great missionary to Africa by the name of David Livingston. And I had the privilege when I was in Africa many years ago, back in the late 80s, 89, I think it might have been 1990, they had begun restoration of what they called the David Livingston Museum, which is in Livingston. Back in those days, there was very little stuff in that museum. Like it's, they put a lot of stuff in there. And, uh, but we happened to show up the day that was called International Museum Day. So what they did when we went in, they, we got to go to the back. We got to go where they kept the archives. You know, not where everybody just looks at the little trinkets and stuff. So we got to go back in the back, and it was before they had put Livingston's diary in those glass cases that they have, the diaries from the written hand of David Livingston in the 1800s. So I got a chance to read them. So I spent all afternoon trying to decipher his handwriting and reading through there. And David Livingston said one thing. He said, you know what? God only had one son, and he made him a missionary. You know, and he also, of course, if you've ever read anything about David Livingston, he was actually not going to Africa. He was going to China until he met a man by the name of Robert Moffat, who was in South Africa. And Robert Moffat became his father-in-law. And uh, this missionary by the name of Robert Moffat told David Livingston, he said, David, he said, every morning when I get up, he said, I see the smoke of a thousand villages that have never heard the name of Jesus. And so in all the years that David Livingston traveled through Africa by ox cart and walked and 
traveled and, and, and went from village to village, he had very few converts, very, very few because of the language barrier and the culture and all that kind of stuff. He only led just a few people to Christ. But in his diaries, he wrote this. He said, I see the day coming when the African will be converted at every sermon. So when I read those verses, read those, those, those not verses, but the, read the transcripts from his diary, and I read that, and I went, wow. Today, or the days that I showed up in Zambia, the African was just literally begging us to tell them what the Bible says. And so to be able to see people just by the herds, I mean, just coming to Christ. I told James last night, I said, well, I sat down with the, several of the missionaries, and conservatively speaking, We've seen over 500,000 professions in the last 30 years in that part of the world. And we've trained over 300 men to be pastors. And they're still going on with the gospel. You see, this is, the, this is God's method, what we're doing today, your missions conference. This is all about what God is doing, what God has commanded the church to do. And David Livingston wrote three prayers. And the first one he wrote, he said, Lord... Send me anywhere, only go with me. And after he wrote that, he quoted Matthew 28. So here it says, it says what? Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, colon, and lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray, Father, you'd, by your word, by this message, God, give us what we need today. Give me what I need today. Lord, please, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what the Spirit is indeed saying into the church today. So, God, do what you have planned. Lord, work in a mighty way, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So David wrote that, uh, his diary and said that, and believed what Matthew 28 said, that God was with him no matter where he went. I remember those early days in Africa. I remember uh, being so full of vigor, you know, going over to Africa at 32 years of age. Now, you know, it's 33 years later, or excuse me, yeah, yeah 32 years later, I'm 65 now. I look back at my life when I was 32, and man, I was just had all this energy, James. I'm ready to go. Let's go to the bush, and you know, going out, taking a tent, going deep, deep in the bush. And but in spite of all that, I got an imagination. Okay, I wasn't raised the way kids are raised today in front of the TV. You know, I don't know how to work this stuff. I don't think I've ever played a Nintendo. That I mean. Give me old Pac-Man. You know, maybe I can do one of those old Pac-Man or asteroids or something like that or foosball or whatever. But, you know, this new stuff, I got no idea. This NFL and this and live. And I, you know, I just watched my grandkids just go crazy with it. But I, I couldn't do that. But I got an imagination. I'd take a stick and a rock and go out in the yard. And I'd play nine innings, okay? Yankees versus Red Sox or whoever, you know, was playing. I never, being from Texas, I never was the Houston Astros because they were terrible. Okay, so I never was the Texas Rangers. I always wanted a winner. I wanted the Yankees, you know, or Boston or somebody like that, you know, or St. Louis or the Cardinals or Pittsburgh, or, you know, all those, all those different teams that, that had winning teams. And so I'd play a whole game in my mind. So I had an imagination. 
I remember one time traveling out to the bush, going really, really far, and I'm thinking, I'm never going to see my wife again. And then I was thinking, I don't have a GPS. I don't know how to get back. You know, there's no road signs. There's, you know, it's a dirt road, and, you know, you're turning at this tree and this tree and this tree, and how about in the world am I going to get back? Where are we going? And then all of a sudden I hear we're going to an area where they used to eat people. You know, they used to attack other tribes and eat them because they would get their power, you know, and I'm thinking, what? I'm going into a cannibal area, you know, I, I may never see my wife again, you know, and then we pull into the village that night, and, and I remember they gave us a little hut to sleep in, and I remember they knocked on my door about nine o'clock that night, and, and the guy comes in, and, and he says, Brother Bonner, my family is ready for you, and I go, ready for what? And they go, well, they got the fire going really big, and I'm thinking, fire? They're ready. Black pot. Oh, I'm dinner. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I was scared to death. And I go out to the fire, of course, and everybody's sitting around, and I got my Bible and a concordance and a flashlight, and I'm asking him, what do they know? They don't know anything. Where do you, where do you, where do you start? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, I'd ask the old man in the village, do you believe there's a God? He'd laugh. He goes, of course there's a God. I said, who's God? Points up to the stars. Points up to the moon. He said, he's the one that created that. Now, this man had never gone to school. He could not read. He had never seen a Bible. Yet he believed there was a creator. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's not a language on this earth where that voice is not heard the voice of creation. Then there's the voice of conscience that's in every person after Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil, and they understood what that was. And then I began to talk about God's holiness, how there's no way that we could get to heaven because of our sinful ways. And I called this God's book. I said, God's book says this. God's book says this. God's book says this. If there are any questions, they'd ask a question. I'd say, I'd find the answer. I'd say, God's book says this. See, God has an answer to any question you might have. By the way, when you say that to a different culture with a different people and all that, and you're wondering, is that really true, God? Because you've said that every tongue, every kindred, every nation one day is going to what? Stand before you. And so again... To see them come to Jesus Christ. To say we have no king but Jesus. That we have no God but Jesus. And to be able to take their charms, their witch doctor charms, and throw them in the fire and walk away from witchcraft and turn to the son of the living God. There's nothing like seeing that. There's nothing like seeing the glory of God. Because it had nothing to do with me, but everything to do with him and the power of the gospel. See, the gospel is the power of God. So this morning, for the next few minutes, hopefully quickly, I want to talk about the cost of discipleship. You know, I believe in discipleship. Our church believes in discipleship. You guys believe in discipleship. It's part of the great commission, the great command of God to disciple people. But I'm afraid that we have maybe change the actual meaning of discipleship. I think maybe we have taken discipleship to the point to where we think it's another level. Okay? 
But I want to show you in the Word of God today, if I can show you, maybe, again, I, I want you to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to speak to your heart. You see, Jesus' call to discipleship was an invitation to salvation. Hello? When I got saved, no one had to tell me to tell somebody else about Jesus. I was not a member of a church. I didn't know, again, what a Baptist was, Church of Christ was, Catholic was. I heard the gospel. I got saved. And then what? I had to tell somebody. Now, when I first got saved, you know, I, I was looking into Christian music. I didn't know what a hymn book was. You know, I'm traveling. I'm playing ball. I'm going to church on Sunday, so I can't really fit anywhere. No one's really discipling me. My, my father-in-law, and he was the son of a Baptist preacher, so he gave me a little bit of direction about believing this above everything else. I mean, my father-in-law was a nut. You know what he'd do? He'd go into a church and march his wife and my, my wife and all the other kids that sit about right middle, middle row somewhere in the church. And if that pastor said anything, anything that was even close to a disagreeing with the Word of God, Alfred would stand up and go, that's not what the Bible says. Let's go, kids. We got to go find a church that teaches the truth. And they'd walk right out in the middle of the sermon. Now, after about four or five times, you can imagine my mother-in-law didn't want to go to church with him anymore. So she wouldn't go unless he planted his feet. Well, you know, Alfred, he, just, he was just different. That's all I got to tell you. He's a different cookie, and that's who I got discipled by. So here you are. You got a different type of cookie up here, okay? And so, again, but I had to tell somebody. And so somebody gave me a tape. I don't know if you guys are as old as me. Have you ever heard of Don Francisco? He, he was a, like a, played the acoustic guitar, and he had kind of long hair. He was like a, he got saved, and he was like a, like a, like a storyteller, you know, with long hair, hippie Christian, you know. And uh, he sang a song, he used to sing a song called, I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. I just got to tell somebody what Jesus did for me. I can't hold it in anymore. See, I didn't have to be taught to witness James. I mean, I got to talk. Later on, the Romans road and how to get them to the gospel. But I couldn't keep quiet. I had to tell somebody what Jesus. See, God, Jesus' call to discipleship for me was an invitation to salvation. Because when I got saved, the Spirit of God came in. By the way, when you got saved, the Spirit of God came in and should bear witness every time the truth is preached. And the conviction should be there to tell somebody. You see, five times in less than 40 days, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts 1.8, Jesus commanded the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every single creature. His last command should be our greatest concern. I just got to tell somebody. You see, the mission of the church... And the goal of evangelism is to make disciples. But you're not going to make a disciple unless that person is what? Saved. You can teach a lot of people Scripture and teach a lot of people Scripture, but, I mean, if they're not saved. See, when you get saved, you're going to want to do something for God. At least you should. That man we led to Christ years ago in the bush, 
They bicycled 43 miles all night to get to that little village to come in and knock on the door at 6 in the morning and say, are you the missionaries? And I said, yes. He said, tell me about Jesus. I want to know about Jesus. So after we led him to Christ, he got up. He said, what do I do now? Now that I'm saved, now that I'm born again, now that I've trusted in Christ, what do I do now? You know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning and we're in the bush and I go, well, you need to be baptized. He goes, what's that? I said, well, if you identify with Jesus Christ, it's a command to go into the water and it shows the death, burial, and resurrection. And I explained it to him. He goes, baptize me right now. I said, wait a minute. It's, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. We're not in a church building. We don't have a baptismal. Well, that's what you said. He said, I got to do. I got to obey God. So I go to the village head. I said, where can we baptize? Capombo River. It's about a mile. I said, let's go. He grabbed me. He said, lots of crocodiles. I said, that ain't good, okay? <laughs> he said, we got a leech pit over here. I said, we'll take the leeches. So we baptized him. We were getting the leeches off of him. And he goes, now what do I do? Now that I'm saved, now that I'm baptized, what do I do now? I said, you need to go home. And you know, I said, by the way, where, this is when I found out where he lived. I said, by the way, where do you live? He said, I I heard you guys were, you know, out in the bush somewhere, so I wanted to know about Jesus, so I bought a bicycle, and I rode it 43 miles all night long. Will you tell me about Jesus? And you did. I said, well, go home and tell your family about Jesus. So he went home. He told his wife she got saved. His kids got saved. His neighbors got saved. And we ended up going to the town, discipling them for a week, and started the very first church in Mumbai, Bible Baptist Church, out in western Zambia years ago. Because here was a man that got saved. Okay, it was called to discipleship and salvation. I want to know, what do I do next? What do I do next? Because guess what? God is not obligated to reveal truth to you if you don't want it. But if you want it, I guarantee you, you're Pastor James here. If you want to know, you want to know what the foundational truths of the Word of God is, He'll find somebody to teach it, or he'll do it himself, or whatever the case may be. He'll get somebody to take you and walk you through the Word of God and teach and train you. But you've got to want it. Why is it that people just make professions, but they don't do anything else? I wonder if it's because they're really not possessed with the Spirit of God. Because when that Spirit came into me, I didn't know the, I didn't know anything other than i got to tell somebody what happened to me. And then as I learn the Word of God and I'm walking in the Word, then I tell others what I'm learning. I tell others what I'm learning. I tell others what I'm learning. And I'm sharing what I'm learning. And then the people are really looking at me going, man, he has lost his mind. I mean, called into the front office of the Baltimore Orioles and they told me, you're taking this Jesus thing too far. And I looked at the manager and I said, I can't take him far enough. And by the way, he's already been there anyway. Okay? Leave your Bible at home. Don't bring it to the church. I mean, they actually brought me out of the locker room and said, Bobby, go get your Bible. Take it out. You can't have it in the locker room. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You take all the pornography out. You take all the beer commercial stuff that's all up and down here. You take that out. You'll take out all this darkness, I'll take out my light. But if you're not going to take out that darkness, I'm not taking out the only light I got. I said, when it's my time and it's my free time and I'm sitting at the locker, I said, my light's open. 
They didn't like that. But they couldn't do anything about it because of the almighty dollar and the, all the beer and everything that, that goes on to, you know, in society and whatever the case may be. They didn't like it. Let me tell you something. There is a cost to discipleship. Ask the Christians in Afghanistan if there's any left. There's a cost. Some of you may have even been disowned by your family. There's a cost. My family think I was crazy when I left baseball. If you are crazy, you're 28 years of age, you're at the prime of your life, you've got five major cl uh, clubs calling, offer you contract. What are you doing? I'm walking away. Why? I love Jesus more than baseball. Baseball was a God in my life, gang. And I'm just bragging on him. He saved my soul. I didn't save myself. He died for me. Wow. A free gift. What a gift. He proved his love to me. So what do I do? I prove my love back to him. Not to be saved, but because I'm saved. There's a difference. I, don't, I can't work my way to heaven. The Bible says, Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ died in vain. If there's anything you and I can do to earn salvation, right? It, it's what he did. But boy, when you understand what the cost was, for you and for me. And you applied that personally. As it says in Ephesians 1.13. After you heard the word of truth. After you believed. You trusted. In what? That Jesus died for your sins. Was buried and rose again the third day. Of course. You believed that. You placed your faith in him. You trust him. It's all in him. And I gave him my sin. And he imputed to me his righteousness. Not mine, but his. Woo! When you, if that can get a hold of you, that ought to shake you just a little bit. The cost of discipleship. Okay? You see, the word disciple is consistently used as a synonym for a believer through the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 6. Let me give you some verses real quick. Acts 6, verse 1 and 2. And in those days when the number of the disciples, underline that, was multiplied. A disciple, a believer, okay? There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Look at verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. These disciples were people that had what? Placed their trust in Christ. Are you with me? They hadn't been taken through you know, the books of the Bible or the 16 lessons or whatever. They were saved. And now they're going to teach them. Again, it's a growth process. The cost of discipleship is a, is a, it's a cost. It's the cost of your time. I just want to know what God has to say in the Word concerning me. Don't you? I just want to know. 
And by the way, like I said before, God is not obligated to reveal it to you if you don't want it. He'll even let you believe a lie. You know, the only thing that I've found that is truth today is this. Jesus said, John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. Woo! I thank God these words are pure words. I thank God they're true words. And the government and the other people are giving us all these lies, feeding us lies, feeding us lies. And when you reject truth, you believe a lie. When you reject truth, you become fearful of man, fearful of society, fearful of the pandemic, fearful. Now, I'm, not, I'm saying be wise. I've got no problem. I wash my hands. I, you know, I do all that kind of stuff too. But here's the thing. I choose who I'm going to fear. I'm going to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, it says in Ecclesiastes. Fear God. Hebrews 11 says, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark. The fear of God moves you to obedience to his word. The fear of man and the world and the flesh. Let me tell you something. We got three enemies, church. Do you realize that? And the gates of hell are opened up and fighting against the church. But our Savior said those gates of hell shall not prevail. I've given you victory over the world. I've given you victory over your flesh. I've given you victory over the devil. So let's go. Let's serve God. Cost of discipleship. Let me tell you something. It's going to cost you. It may cost you some friends. But you know what? God's given me a big family. A big family. I can go to Mexico. Visit my family. I can go to Zambia. Visit my family. I can go to Nepal. Visit my family. I can go to Missouri and visit my family. And I can go to New York and even find a couple of my family members up there. Amen. So, you know, wherever I go, somebody in Christ is my brother, my sister in the Lord. Someone I'm going to spend eternity with, whether they're red, yellow, black, and white, it doesn't matter. Thank God. Look what it says there in verse number 7, Acts 6. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples, what? Multiplied. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And we had found him, he brought unto him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled them together with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called, what? Christians first at Antioch. Look at Acts 14, verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derb. Verse 22 of Acts 14. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to what? Continue in the faith. To continue. The cost of discipleship is for us to continue. 1983, we won the World Series. At the end of the year, things happened. They didn't give me a ring. They didn't give me a share of the money, even though I was on the team. And I called and asked to be traded. They wouldn't trade me. I said, if you're not worth anything, we can't get anything from you. I said, if I'm not worth anything, then give me my release so I can sign with whoever I want to. 
And the Oriole says, no, you have one year left on your contract. Take it or leave it. Now, I'm saved. I've been winning people to Christ, 169 ball players to Christ during those you know, five years. And so I'm thinking, you know, God, what are you doing? And then, you know, have you, has God ever prompted you just to open up his scriptures? God prompted me. And I don't know how this works, but I opened it up right to John chapter 21. And I just started reading. And it's a story, if you go there, it's about when Jesus was already resurrected. Okay? He had already been resurrected. He had already appeared to Peter two other times. Jesus shows up on the shore. Peter's fishing. Peter doesn't recognize Jesus. Read the story. He's, he even talks to Peter. doesn't recognize the voice of the one he had been with for three and a half years. What does that tell me? That tells me it doesn't take too long for someone to step outside the place where you're not hearing from the Spirit of God and you're listening to other things. It doesn't take too long. But John, after the miracle was performed, looked at Peter and said, It is the Lord. You know the story, and Peter was naked, so he jumped in the water to clothe himself, and then they came over to the shore, and there was a fire, and Jesus said, come and dine. And then he looked at Peter, and he said, lovest thou me more than these? Peter was a fisherman, wasn't he, when Jesus found him? Brought him, told him he was going to preach, he was going to do all this, and he saw him after the resurrection, that's wonderful, great, he went back fishing. And Jesus showed up. Lovest thou me more than these? Well, when I read that portion of Scripture, have you ever taken it and applied it spiritually to you? I hope you do that sometimes. How does it apply to you? You know, there's three ways to look at Scripture. Doctrinally, right? Historically, is it past, present, or future? Or inspirationally, practically? How can I apply it to my life? Well, I looked at those verses. I had to shake my head because I was seeing, I didn't see Peter's name. I saw my name. I didn't see fish. I saw baseball. God broke my heart, church. I realized even though I was saved, even though I was serving God, even though I was witnessing for Him and not ashamed of the gospel, baseball was a God in my life. I loved baseball more than Jesus Christ. You see, I had to get to the point of worship. That's what worship is. Genesis 22. Take thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. Isaac, love. First time the word love's mentioned. Verse 5, Genesis 22 says, you're going to go up to the top of the mountain and worship. First time the word worship appears. Love and worship appear together. Whew. What does worship mean? It's more than a song. It's giving what you love. You know what we do? We, we love our lives. We love what we want. The question is, do we want what he wants? Because if we love what he wants, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us our time. It's going to cost us our talents. And it's going to cost us our treasures. The Bible, the Albania, the missionaries in Mexico, and people in Mexico need to hear the gospel. And in Africa, in Vietnam, and other places around this world. 
Again, any distinction between the two words, believer and disciple, is purely artificial. And when we teach there are different levels like this, that just creates what we call easy believism. Because what happens is people will say a prayer, but they won't, they won't continue. And of course, the Bible has something to say about that, doesn't it? They went out from us, but they were not all of us, because if they had been of us, then they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out to be made what? Manifest that they were not all of us. It's going to cost us something, church. Not to be saved, but because I am saved. God's called us to what? To crucify our flesh. To walk in His Spirit. To be obedient to Him. To do what He's called us to do. And there's two characteristics I want to deal with real quickly. The first characteristic of a true disciple. Number one, they're not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed to tell someone about Jesus. I'm not ashamed to go. I'm not ashamed to go to my neighbor. I'm not ashamed to go to my boss. You know, in Kansas City, I joined a men's golf, you know, league on, on Thursdays. And uh, there's only, I think, three people in the league that are professing Christians, and the other 30 are, I guess if you're lost, you're pretty lost. You know what I mean? But I use it as an opportunity. You know, one guy on the team, he knows I'm a preacher, so he likes to test me. And so I know he does that on purpose, and I kind of laugh. But he got up one day, and he hit a drive, and of course it was a bad drive. And he yelled out, oh, Jesus. And of course I went, <gasps> You know him? And he goes, what? I go, Jesus, you know him? He goes, what, what? I go, Jesus is my Savior. I trusted Christ. I trusted that he died and was buried and rose again for me. And he's the precious name I know. I said, do you know him? He goes, uh, uh, uh. Anyway, I never heard him say that name again. Amen. <laughs> now, I know I probably shouldn't have done that you know, in that circumstance, but, you know, I'm not the typical person that you think I am. It can come out at any time. My, one of my favorite sayings is, just rub some dirt on it. You know, get back in the game. You know, I'm writing my second book. I don't know if I'll ever finish it because the title, I've got about four chapters done, but the title of my book that I'm writing, it's all about the competition, dot, dot, dot. So rub some dirt on it and get back in the game. Because we're going to get hurt. We're going to get hit. We're not going to feel like doing what God has called us to do. Like I said, when you feel like it and when you don't, there's a cost. And that cost is for the church to be active in telling people about Jesus and going into all the world. And then the second characteristic I see of someone who is a true disciple is they have a love for the Lord. They love the Lord. Their love motivates them. I hear pastor missionaries all the time say, 
well, God's called me to this country, and I have a burden for these people, and I have a burden for these people. And they said, Brother Bobby, when did, when did God call you to Zambia? And I said, well, I don't know if God's ever called me to Zambia. They go, what do you mean? And I said, well, I, my call was just to show God I loved him. I didn't want to go to Africa. <laughs> he said, well, didn't you have a burden for those people? I said, I didn't know those people. Okay? You know, a burden does not constitute a call. Paul had a burden for Israel. And every time he went to preach to Israel, they wanted to stone him or did stone him and kick him out. And God called him to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Okay? We get to hear the message. We get to be a part of the Great Commission. Great command because of the rejection of Israel. So I understand that. Now, once I got to Zambia, guess what? I ate what they ate, and I sat where they sat, and I married them, I buried them, and we served God together, and guess what? God gave me a burden. Why? Because I spent time with them. I cried with them. I loved on them. They loved on me. And so again, whatever you do, as it says in Colossians, do heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Wherever you're working, please Jesus. Whatever you're doing right now, love Him. Put Him first in your life. The law of priority. You know, years ago, Brother Doug taught me the four laws of marriage. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, he talked about that priority in marriage. You know, your priorities change when you get married. You're no longer under the husband or the dad, the mom, your wife, your priorities change. Well, let me tell you something. When you got saved, I got saved. My priorities changed. I answer to the king. And he says over in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. If you love me not, you're not going to do what I tell you to do. You see, love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. Am I going to go? Am I going to give? Am I going to pray? Am I going to send? See, the cost of discipleship, I got to tell somebody. It's not just on me. It's just not on this pastor. It's on every single believer, disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been given a command to tell. And we've been given a command to love Him and to serve Him with our will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. God, I pray, Father, that You just bless this invitation time. Speak to our hearts as only You can do. God, uh, we just want to tell you again, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love with which you loved us. Lord, in a group this side, there may be somebody here that's not saved. Maybe they haven't understood the cost of discipleship, understood salvation. Salvation is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. We turn from our sin to something, to someone, and submit our lives to a Savior. 
So, Lord, right now in the stillness of, the, of this time, Lord, search our hearts. Your word says examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Can you go back to a time and place where you got saved? Did your life change? Were you vocal? Did you tell other people? Or have you just been quiet this whole time? There is a cost. And the cost is for you and I not to be ashamed. The cost is for you and I to tell everybody. The cost for you and I is to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. To love our neighbor as ourselves. God, speak to our hearts. Get a hold of us. Help us to understand who you are. How great is our God. And greatly to be praised. Lord, speak to the hearts of your people. Help them to see and understand that, yes, we've failed. Yes, we've kept our mouth closed. Yes, we've been silent when we should have spoke. So, God, forgive us. And, Lord, give us that spirit of boldness to proclaim the gospel to people. Help us to go to our neighbors, the people we work with, to our family. Maybe it's even around the world, God, but... Lord, we just want to prove to you, prove to you that we love you because we submit our will to you. So, Lord, if there's anybody lost here today, God, I pray, get them up here so someone can take a Bible and pray with them. Lord, anyone that feels backslidden needs to come. Just say, God, forgive me. I want to get back into what you've called us to do. Father, have your work now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.